This is the Ironside Podcast number 44 with Tom Dinkelman and me, Brett Kane. Good evening, Tom. What's going on, buddy? My name is Lafayette Lee, and I will be your companion on this journey into the ruins. Although heir to this estate, I am without penny or pot, just the last drops of a patrician bloodline and a squandered birthright. No one has use for a penniless blue blood in this country, and so I am resigned to fill the measure of my creation as an aristocrat of the soul instead. As you enter the ruins, you will notice that things are overgrown, and hardly a column remains of that once magnificent house, just hell vines and sinking stones all nestled together under a shroud of Spanish beard. The place is far from desolate, though. In that Dionysian soup dwell a multitude of ghosts, some quick and slippery, others cleverly lurking in the darkest places. You will feel the weight of a thousand empty eyes there. Every man, woman, and child in this neck of the woods clings to a different explanation as to how this glorious estate was reduced to a play yard for vines and specters. Some say it was a single catastrophe, others a parade of misfortunes. Even still, there are those who insist it was an act of God, a divine punishment only Jehovah himself could summon. These good people are not entirely wrong, but they would do well to know a truer account. The ruins are ancient, its walls and columns bound by a mortar mixed with the blood and bones of millions. When that first family finished their tabernacle of clay, they made a covenant with the Almighty and he breathed life into their handiwork. Karadaman became a living edifice. No single storm or cyclone could have done it, not even centuries of storms and cyclones. Nor could nature's worthy rival, human stupidity, topple those walls. For Karadaman was alive and protected by divine covenant. That leaves us with the Almighty. Did the great Lord of hosts strike Karadaman down? Did he look upon his own creation, finding it unworthy? What of his first covenant with that first family and their posterity? I will gladly answer these questions as best I can as we journey into the ruins. The path there is long and winding, and we will have plenty of time to discuss Karadaman's former glories, its extraordinary demise, and the strange disappearance of its princely inheritors. We best be moving along. Welcome to the ruins of Karadaman. Welcome to the new year, my friends. And as always, I am a day late and a dollar short. Truth be told, the last year has been a tumultuous one for your good friend here. Apart from changing jobs and relocating Casa de Lee to warmer climes, I have passed through several family tragedies that have knocked me off my feet. This is not meant to be an excuse, but rather to provide some context for my neglect. I do plan to make it up to you in the coming days and weeks, however, and I am excited to finally roll out my review of Apocalypse Now, which has been a long time coming. Moving forward, I will be publishing several book reviews for my porch readings, beginning with King of All Things by my friend Clark Savage, followed by Tragedy in the Heartland, a piece describing my hopes for the future. From there, I will be providing both free and subscribers-only content on a weekly basis. And that is just a brief excerpt from one of the greatest men I have come to know. And I hope it's whetted all of your appetites and piqued all of your interests in the author, the man, the legend, Mr. Lafayette Lee. Lee, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. A very kind introduction. Well, it's only true. And you know, like, like you said, it's, it's certainly been a, a tumultuous year uh, for everybody uh, universally, but you personally. So on a personal note, um, how, how are you doing? Um, you know, things are, things, are, things are looking up. Things are uh, moving along. Um, I, uh, I'm a husband and a father. And so, you know, the center of my life are my wife and my children, and, and they are doing very well. Um, yeah, honestly, you know, I think everybody's has, has problems and many of those problems have been, you know, made worse over the last couple of years. And so at the end of the day, I just have to thank the Lord and, 
you know, be very grateful for my blessings because I do have many. Yeah, it seems like everything just kind of got put under a microscope for everybody, good and bad, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, it really does. It's um, it's it's interesting. It's kind of, uh, you know, it it looks like our our society seems to be going through, uh, like we have all these pressure points that are being, you know, pushed on all at once, and you know, it, it kind of tends to bring out the worst in things. It, it exposes a lot of vulnerabilities and weaknesses, but you know, it also demonstrates. It kind of proves people's mettle and their strengths and. You know, so as bad as things have been, I have uh, been very inspired by a lot of the strength, you know, the backbone that a lot of people are showing right now. So, uh, you know, every now and then I get a little black pill, but then I have to, I look around again and, and I, I'm hopeful at the same time. Which is interesting to me because, yeah, I mean, you, you are a, a prolific writer and, and you're so articulate and you're so well-informed and, and you can just expound on, on these different ideas, uh, both abstract and, and concrete. How, how do you do that while still maintaining that backbone and being able to focus uh, on your, your role as, as a husband and father and, and be a good provider and, and also you know, be competent enough to handle family situations. It, it seems like there are so many different spinning plates. No, that's very true. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would say that when I was really young, I had, uh, I lost a parent when I was just a boy and it kind of, it kind of reoriented my understand it just changed my understanding of the world I, I it kind of opened up a um a real under maybe like an appreciation for our existential condition you know of you know mortality and these really heavy serious questions that kind of weighed on me at a young age and so you know moving through life and doing things whether it's you know getting an education or it's I was in the army for a, a, a hot minute and doing other things like that, starting a family, uh, living abroad, those, these big, you know, milestones in people's lives. Um, I think at the same time, it's always been accompanied by a understanding that, you know, there, these existential questions, you know, our, our condition as human beings has always been really, you know, present in my mind. And so, you know, I think as trying to balance life, I always try to at least hold on to that anchor, you know, that understanding, which, which can be kind of a burden, but at the same time, it can help you to relish, you know, the, the finer moments in life, you know, and to appreciate the things that I think for maybe some people might seem insignificant, but, you know, it's taught me that those little small this, you know, that spice of life is, is what makes your life meaningful and enjoyable. That's powerful, man. Thank you. What have been, you know, some of those, uh, those highlights? I mean, you, I know you, you just listed through, but, but if, if you could pinpoint me, maybe something that is super simple, that is, uh, you know, a diamond in the rough that, that our listeners might have experienced, but not recognized. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so on the family front, I would just you know, the other day I was able to take a day off work and um, took my family out to, I like to take the kids out to historical sites in, in my area. I live down in the South. And so there's a lot of old history and uh, a lot of my family history in the area. And so we, I just took them to this, you know, this, this uh, very small, meager historical site, just had some beautiful gardens and the sun was out and there were some animals nearby. And you know, just small moments like that. You know, I think in life we kind of hurry through things. Uh, we, you know, are, we're, you, you know, we, we, we are human beings. We deal with intense amounts of stress and anxiety about things that other, you know, animals or creatures or whatever don't really think about. It creates kind of a burden on us. And, you know, that's always there. But I try to find these small moments like going out on a walk with my family or, teaching my son how to, 
how to tie in, how to tie his shoes. And these, these small moments are, are powerful moments. They're opportunities to, to connect with people and to connect with nature and to connect with the world around you. You know, we have a lot of distractions and it's something that I am, unfortunately, I, I definitely have a Twitter addiction, which I have to really like, I have to kind of create parameters to, you know, some boundaries for myself because I could probably sit on there a lot longer than I do. But, you know, there's so many of the, you know, the technologies that we have in our world today are very distracting and disorienting. And sometimes I think what happens is we sacrifice these precious moments, you know, being out in the sun with your family, you know, teaching your children small skills, answering their questions, maybe reading them a book, um, watching a movie with your wife and having a good conversation. I mean, these things don't get a lot of attention, but they're what punctuates our life with meaning. And for me, that is, I, you know, just like I said, it kind of goes back to the fact that like, you know, I had a parent pass away at, at a young age and I, I look back and all the memories I have of this parent are those moments. It was learning how to tie my shoes. It was going fishing. It was, it was, you know, having a, having a conversation about like my favorite picture book, those kinds of moments are precious to me. And so I think for us as, as people, we, we shouldn't overlook those small moments. Uh, we need to savor those and, and try our best to, to appreciate them and to, you know, kind of stop for a moment and uh, embrace it. Yeah. I'd like to refer to them as, as the tender mercies in life. It's, I think it's interesting because I, I'm amazed when you're able to recognize them in the moment. Cause I think that's the hardest part is recognize them in the moment. When you look back and be able to say, you know, this is my parent taught me how to tie my shoes. You know, I, lo I lost my dad last year. And as I was going through some of the memories that I had with my girls and talking to them about their grandpa, um, all of a sudden these memories that I, that I'd forgotten I had came rushing in and they, they weren't, they didn't seem important at the time, but being able to have them later made them so much more important. No, I love that. I, you know, there's, you know, and I'm very sorry to hear about your father. Um, I, Thank you. and you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because those, you know, this is something that I, I, I try to hold on to. And when I'm not, you know, when I'm not talking incessantly about politics on, on Twitter, I, I do like to emphasize this chain of memory that we have. Um, some of my favorite authors, uh, kind of a literary movement um, back in the mid-century of the last century, they critics of modernity and the, the Southern agrarians, they were a very uh, interesting group of, of gentlemen that were very critical of modernity and, and kind of came from a more traditionalist conservative approach. But uh, why, why it's important though, is that they, uh, a couple of those authors really emphasize the importance of, of maintaining a chain of memory, something that connects us to our past our, and, and connects us to the present and the future. And these, and these like small, like you call them tender mercies. I like that. It's uh, these, these things that, that they, they, they don't get a lot of acclaim. And even when we talk to other people, we don't typically bring them up, but they make up, you know, 75% of our day are these small little moments that often get overlooked. But I think pr protecting and cherishing those um, really help connect us to the people around us connects us to our past. It helps us know who we are. Uh, it helps us to stay human in a world that seems to be trying to you know, pull us from that humanity uh, that we really should be clinging to. And so, you know, I, I don't, you know, everybody talks about identity in this day and age. It's something that, you know, it's, it's very, it's a popular term and, and everybody has a different definition, but, um, you know, I don't think you can know who you are without having those kinds of that chain of memory that connects you to the past and the present and the future, you know, it, it orients you and, and where you're going. And I, you know, the people in your life, the people that mean the most to you are really, you know, they're, they're vital to that. That's, that's so well said that that's beautiful. And yeah, it, it's interesting that there's this huge focus on, on identity, uh, but at the expense of, 
you know, your, your past and your ancestors and, and your, your true identity. It's like, they're trying to create this thing uh, out, out of nothing. And, you know, I, I certainly don't mean this as a, a critique because you and Tom are both way better men than me, but you both used a word and, and that was lost. And, you know, we, we had Tony Cowden on here um, and he, he talked about his mother passing away when, when he was real young. And he, he said like, he, he doesn't use that. And obviously lost that that's just part of the vernacular. And so I'm, I'm, it's just semantics, but what he says is, you know, he's like, I didn't lose my mom. I know exactly where she is. And I gained so much. And, and that's, you know, because right afterward, you both said, you're talking about these memories. And that's like so many more links in this chain that you gained from that. And, and certainly I, I am very sorry to, to hear because I, I wish you had both had you know, so much more time with, with your parents. Uh, but I, I do know that you will see them again. And, and I also know that what they gave you is you know, eternal in value and it's given you so much more length of chain, so to speak, to, to build up uh, your families. It's interesting you say that because I, I, you know, when you say the word lost, it, it's, it's, I don't think it ever really goes completely that direction. In fact, um, the other day I got, it, it took seven months to finally get the gravestone in. And I got an email from the, uh, from the mortuary letting me know that it was in and they sent me a picture of it. So the first person I went to text was my dad to let him know that his gravestone was in. <laughs> I mean, kind of the irony of it, but at the same time, yeah, he's not here, but at the same time, there's still that connection and there always will be. No, that's very true. I, uh, I lost a grandparent to COVID, um, back in, uh, 2000 and well, no, that would have been last. Yeah, maybe that was last year. I can't tell it all blurs together, but, um, the important thing is, and you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I, uh, I'm one of those people that funerals are, you know, they can be sad occasions, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I kind of come from a, a family and faith tradition where they're, they're very uh, loving and joyful <laughs> uh, gatherings, you know, and because that chain of memory is so strong and the, uh, it's something that I, you know, when we buried my grandfather, it, you know, it was just a joyous occasion, even though the way he had gone out was very wrong. You know, I think that there were, I, I had to kind of work through a little bit of bitterness there. Um, I think that uh, given the fact that he got COVID and the way that it went down and some of the restrictions that were placed on the family kind of, you know, got me a little hot under the collar for a while. But aside from that, it was, it was when we gathered together um, as a family to, in a lot of ways, celebrate his life, not necessarily just to, to mourn his loss. Um, it was a beautiful experience. And, you know, those kinds of, you know, those kinds of, those kinds of things, the, uh, you know, and like I said, they don't get a lot of fanfare. Um, people kind of overlook them when, you know, in, in life in some ways, um, when somebody else is talking about it. But these are these, they're just very important moments in our lives that, that make, make things, it, to me, it makes life worth living, uh, despite the suffering despite the loss that we feel. I also agree with you that I, you know, I kind of look at our existence in an eternal perspective. And um, in a lot of ways, it's just an obstacle that we overcome and we, we build upon that and grow. And, and I, you know, and the whole time being grateful that we had that person with us, that we had those memories that we had that experience that they, they helped strengthen and help us grow, you know? So how do you balance those chains of memories without also risking uh, casting pearls before swine? Mm. You know, I, you know, I think, you know, I, I, like when I, I'll, I'll you know, relating it to something like social media, because I, I sometimes share stories, personal stories that you know, and my anonymity helps me be a little more daring than I would be probably if people knew my name. Um, I'm a little more emotive <laughs> when I'm an anonymous person. Um, 
I, you know, there's certain sacred things in my life that I don't, I don't share. There's private, you know, relationship things that I wouldn't share mainly out of respect for the other people involved. Um, but aside from that, I think, you know, for me, when I'm, when I'm discussing these things or sharing them with people, I, I always, I, I tend to would like to focus on the things that, that are, that unite us as human beings, you know, not everybody has good relationships, but everyone has series of relationships. Uh, people, people need uh, those connections. They need, they need those anchoring points in their lives. You know, there's a lot of parents out there that, you know, I, when I had my, my children, I know how it felt to be a proud father and to be humbled at the same time. And I, I know that other parents experience those things. And I like to, I like to dig into those, those feelings and those experiences, those sentiment, you know, kind of those, those bonds of sentiment that we all have. Um, and then there's, you know, the private details or the sake, what I would call sacred. Um, I usually, you know, kind of re refrain from sharing a lot of those mainly because, you know, there are certain things that probably should not be shared with the public. Um, but I think skirting around those a little bit and finding those common points, uh, that's something I, I really, I like to do. I, I feel like it's a, in this day and age where there's so much uncertainty and there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of confusion and resentment. Um, I like to kind of punctuate the, I, I like to punctuate all the gloom and doom with these little bright points, you know, like if it's a tweet about writing about holding my son's hand or, you know, sometimes at, at nighttime prayers, my, my children love to bless all the animals they can think of. And sometimes it's, it's really funny. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a pearl. I don't know if that's like a sacred moment or a pearls before swine moment, but I do like to share those because I find that a lot of other people out there can identify it's something that we all kind of cherish, whether we know it or not until we see it. That's beautiful. And yeah, you know, right, right. When Tom asked that, you know, how do you avoid casting pearls before swine? I'm like, well, that's, that's why, you know, you have uh, subscribers. I mean, you have to have someone subscribe to the, the sub stack to get all the stuff, you know, that if you want the pearls, yeah, you, you can't just be a, a free subscriber, but uh, uh, on a serious note, you know, like you said, if you can have those little bits of light punctuate, and we, we've probably all seen uh, a dark ocean and how far can a single small light carry, you know, through all that darkness. So really, uh, you know, just focusing on that. I think that that's awesome. And, you know, I, I'm so glad to, to see uh, just a prime example of someone who's done so much and, and not at the expense of, of family or, or personal development. And you, you talked about, you know, liking to, to post on, on Twitter a lot. I, I wanted to ask because obviously everybody loves your stuff and it's just consistent home runs, really profound, important statements. How do you uh, avoid, you know, getting you know off into the weeds on things because you know there's always those you know uh, troll accounts or or those accounts who just want to argue uh, or who just you know post dumb stuff. How how do you stay so so disciplined? Oh, that's a. I'm glad that I'm glad that I have that that mystique because I sometimes feel that I I go. A little too hard or a little too far. I do have one of the things that I, a weakness of mine is I, you know, I, I grew up pretty poor. I grew up in a kind of a tough situation and kind of clawed out of that and found myself in a completely different world that uh, a lot more affluent than I ever knew as a child, um, had a good education, uh, not, not really out of anything that I did necessarily. I was, I was raised by a great family and had a lot of great people in my life who intervened at a young age to make sure that I was on the right track. So I credit them for all those things. But I would say that I, I, I don't like watching people who have a lot of the, uh, you know, people that kind of come from a more elite background, punching down on people that are, you know, maybe not as sophisticated or don't have the, the, the bona fides that that's something that I, I find myself oftentimes deleting tweets because I kind of go a little too hard in the paint with folks like that. 
Um, unfortunately, I have to rub shoulders with people like that in my professional life quite a bit. And so I'm a little jaded on, on that whole thing. So I do, I do struggle sometimes and I, I sometimes feel bad, uh, especially like I try not to, I always try, I, my account's grown quite a bit. Um, and so I try not to highlight folks that don't have a lot of followers and I don't like driving really negative attention to folks like that. I try to avoid doing that. And if I, if there's a point to be made, I usually try just to like screenshot it or either blur out their name because I, I don't honestly, as much as there's conflict on platforms like that, I, I don't really like, I don't really like the contention. It, I, it doesn't, it's not something I really enjoy. Um, but I, I think when it comes to being disciplined is I, I kind of, I kind of operate in the sense that, you know, I, I assume that my identity will be exposed at some point. I, I kind of also think of, you know, folks that might know me. I kind of always just pretend somebody's looking over my shoulder that knows me. And that kind of helps me to stay a little more anchored. And, and then finally, at, you know, the end of the day, I'm, I'm kind of an earnest person. I, I do feel like some of these things that I try to say need to be said. I think there's a lot of folks out there that need people who have the ability to stand up for them a little bit to maybe speak on behalf of the, you know, the innocent, precious, important things, uh, good people. You know, I, I, I just, I, you know, I love this country and I love, I love good people. And there's a lot of good people in this country and I hate watching them get taken advantage of. I hate watching them get mistreated or, or, or uh, abused in any way. And so, you know, I, uh, I try to always advocate, you know, kind of stand up for folks like that and, in some sense, I think if if I were to be more undisciplined or a little more, you know, reprehensible in what I say, I think it would kind of let people down. And so I try to hold myself to that standard. I don't, I fail quite often, but that it's something I strive to do. Well, and I think there's a lot of people out there that want to say the same things that you say, but are, but fear the repercussions. What do you say to those people? You know, I would say that, um, yeah, it's, it's a big risk. And I, and, uh, you know, to be completely honest, it, at times it, it is intimidating to know that, you know, I have, I have, I have little people that depend on me and I would never want to do something that would jeopardize their future or jeopardize um, their ability, my ability to put food on the table. But some of these things are really important to me. Now it's a risk I take. And I don't, I don't actually think that every person should take the same risk. I think you have to evaluate that for yourself. If you're a young person who hasn't quite got your your foot, you know, into the into the professional world, I would I would be very cautious. And I, I do think I mean there's many things that I think and, and things that I believe that I don't put out there. Um, oftentimes because it doesn't really necessarily need to be said. Other times because I know it will be misconstrued or people will assume that I, I'm coming from a place of anger, resentment or hatred or something like that. I, 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 I try not to focus on those kinds of, of things that could be misconstrued by good people that might feel threatened by my opinion. But I do think that everybody has to kind of evaluate that risk. Um, but if you find yourself in a position where you can speak up, I, I, I think we need to do more of that. I, we don't necessarily need to say everything that's on our minds, but I think it's important to speak the truth and to refuse to dignify lies. Uh, we, we live in a world that's kind of awash in, in dishonesty and deception. Um, I think that we've seen a lot of that this last few years. A lot of these lies, you know, lies, lies are a weak point in a structure. They're not, it's a, it's a blemish. It's not something that, that is strong, you know, and these things will collapse under their own weight at some point. Um, so I think it's important that people, I think the, biggest thing you can do is if you can't speak the truth because you're afraid that's okay I, I understand that but just refuse to lie refuse to dignify the lie if you can't speak the truth understood but at least try to refuse to dignify the lie well I think it's become difficult too because there's been so many lies out there that we've all become so jaded that we just assume they're all lies yeah no, yeah, that is, yeah, and that's, and you know, that's actually something I have to work on. I have to be pretty disciplined with that because it's, it's very easy to assume um, something is, if it, 
if it smells kind of if it smells bad there's always the tendency to attribute bad motives or conspiracy or to see you know to assume everything is a lie before you have a chance to really investigate i think there should be some kind of neutral ground on evaluating whether something is true or false uh, i think the best honestly i think and this is just i think a good way to live your life is that experience is the best teacher and people that have experience are the people that i tend to try to listen to um, i don't i think when it comes to you know political issues people that have a vested interest in something i don't i kind of take certain things they say with a grain of salt whether they land on my side of something or not but people that have cold hard experience that don't stand to gain much i try to find people like that because those are people that i i i know i can trust uh, and and experience has a way of you know real real life experience has a way of teaching you things that like reading and 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 listening to somebody else just it, it's not the same that's funny you say that my brother and i had that same conversation with our brother-in-law where he kept saying well no this is how it is this is how it is this is how it is my little brother finally just said to me but that's not my experience he says you can tell me that this is how it is but that's not what i've seen in my own life so how are you supposed to convince me otherwise yeah that's really good i you know, I was so I was in the army, and even though I had a college degree when I, I joined, I, I went enlisted, and so I was with a lot of other uh, awesome. guys. Good man. <laughs> yeah, I'm a yeah, and and you know what? I tell everybody this because you know professionally it wasn't the greatest decision I made, you know, but personally it was invaluable to me. And you know, on one hand, I really needed to be humbled. I needed to realize that. I needed to see the true value of my college education. I mean, and I, I don't, I had a good experience. I learned a lot in college. Don't get me wrong, but there's something to be said about, I went in as an infantryman and my college degree did not help me to hump a, a you know, a machine gun and fire my weapon well and move, shoot, move and communicate well. And there were a lot of young bucks that were 17 straight out of high school that were showing me up in that regard. and you know, somebody on the outside could look at that and say that those things don't matter. But in a life and death situation, it does matter. Um, in the in the role that I was in, it was imperative to be good at those things. And I found that even though my college degree had helped me in certain respects, and I'm, I'm appreciate that, um, it didn't necessarily make me a better soldier. And um, it taught me really quick that, you know, there's a lot of we put a lot of value on certain things. Um, that at times I think they're inflated. And so for me, being an enlisted guy and experiencing the world from that vantage point um, was really important for a person like me and my, my development. Um, and, you know, in the military setting, experience counts. You know, it really matters. You know, there's the place I went to, if, you know, somebody had deployed, but they were a lower rank than you, you hadn't deployed that person kind of had a level a, a certain level of um authority over you you know they had a, a legitimacy that you didn't have so like rank and college degrees and things like that didn't really matter as much as being able to do the job and have that experience so and for me i've tried to carry that with me ever since because you know that's at the end of the day like i have a great deal of respect for there's a lot of people in this country that work with their hands there's a lot of people that are um, that have very important, like, uh, you know, I, I think he was actually on your podcast, Braxton McCoy is a good example of this. Um, he's a guy who has had a very fascinating life, but the man trains horses and, you know, maybe like from a, from some college kids vantage point that might not matter much in a professional setting where it takes you two weeks to learn how to do your job. But, you know, a man like that has centuries of experience that he's inherited through that work that he does and the kinds of insight and wisdom that it, that a, a job like that, that that experience brings you is really invaluable. And I think a lot of folks overlook that. Um, so sorry for the long winded answer, but um, yeah, I, I love what you said. I think that I think that per, I think people need to put a little more stock in their experience their gut instincts. These are things that we have evolved to have over time for a reason. And they very often can save your life. 
And no, no need to apologize, man. I, I think that you know, there's nothing wrong with long wind as long as it's a good wind. And, and you've got nothing but good wind that's uh, filling lots of sails. So thank, thank you for, for that. And, and it means so much, you know, what, what uh, you've done for our country. So thank you. And, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, how, you know, people kind of look outward for, oh, well, this job or this degree or this, you know, whatever will make me a better, you know, X, Y, Z. And, and I don't think that we can look outward so much because yeah, your, your college degree it did, didn't help you necessarily be a better soldier, but you definitely uh, were a good soldier and you helped people around you just like they, they were helping you. And, you know, we, we did kind of that preview of uh, stuff you're going to be working on a movie review of apocalypse now isn't necessarily going to make you a better person, but you, who you are is going to have an impact. And what you say about these other things is going to have a positive impact on, on other people. So I, I think it, we talked a lot about humility too, but I think there's something to be said for that confidence that you know people really can make a difference. Yeah, no, it's true. It's uh, you know everybody, every person has the ability to impact somebody's life in a in, a, in an important way. Um, parents know this. You know when you have a child, uh, you become the focal point of their life. You are you teach them, you, you form their character. You know, you're very much responsible for the kind of person that they become. Um, and, and I, you know, I take those kinds of things very seriously. Uh, the relationships we have, whether it's our neighbors, our family members, our colleagues, you know, you have the power to, to be a, a force for good in other people's lives. Um, and they also have the ability to influence and make your life more meaningful as well. And I, I think that that's important. You know, we live in kind of an age of, it's a narcissistic age um, where, like you said, people are often just looking outside and looking for validation of, of the person that they want to pretend that they are. I don't really like when people talk about going and finding themselves and all that. You know, I used to talk like that and believe in that sort of a thing, but you know, there's, there's so much right under your nose. Um, and, you know, and kind of leaving that abstract world of, of these kind of like false values and focusing on the things that are right there, you know, the, the responsibilities and commitments that are, you know, right under your own roof, um, the people that live around you. Um, I think it's a good way to kind of escape some of that narcissism that seems to attack all of us, you know, that gets amplified by the technologies we use. Um, you know, it's, you know, like a little thing. I mean, and it's kind of, it sounds really cliche and I think it's becoming more important now. People are kind of reminded, remembering how important this stuff is, but you know, when we were all little kids, our parent, many of, most of our parents tried to teach us these things, you know, having good character, you know, it, you know, it's a cliche helping the little old lady across the street. Um, but I, I think we can't afford to overlook that, that sort of a thing. I mean, this is these, the ability to look right, you know, around us and to be able to, um, these kinds of commitments and responsibilities are how we quote unquote, find ourselves. It's how we know who we are. Like we're not, I don't believe that we're all blank slates. I don't believe that you go on a trip to, you know, Bali and find yourself there. Uh, I believe that we are we are the sum of our relationships and commitments and our responsibilities. And when we do those things and do them well, that's how we find meaning. And that's how we know more about ourselves, if that's the object, you know. That's incredible. I, I love that. So, Lee, I, I did have a question and, and you kind of touched on it. Uh, but I mean, what what made you decide? to join the army? That's a good question. So I, um, I've always been a very patriotic person. Um, and it were, you know, we're kind of in a really strange moment right now. I'm, I am not very pleased with, um, what I often refer to as like a regime that, that we're, we're 
kind of grappling with. And so I've always kind of had a little bit of a um, healthy skepticism of, you know, power, whether it's corporate or government or anything like that, um, or cultural power that comes from certain places. But I've always loved this country. And what the country has always meant to me is the country is my home. It's the people that live around me, the good people that that have taught me about life and and the relationships that I have with my people, the American people, you know, um, that's that's America to me. Um, and it, you know, I do believe that this country is a unique one. Um, I'm very, I'm very grateful to have been born here. So I've always kind of had this, you know, deep sense of, of um, connection to this land that, that we live in. Um, you know, my family came over in the 1600s to this place and, and I feel a level of kind of responsibility. Uh, like I've inherited, I've, you know, the, the culmination of their blood, sweat, and tears is, is my inheritance. And so I've always kind of felt a sense of responsibility. So when, you know, for me, I, you know, the, the war in Iraq kicked off right around the time I came of age to be able to join the army. Um, I, I, I kind of bowed to the pressure of my family, finished my degree. Um, I went and lived abroad for a little bit. And when I returned, um, it kept nagging me because I, you know, to be frank with you, uh, when I saw pictures of, of Americans being, you know, dead Americans in these foreign lands, it really affected me. I felt a sense of, of responsibility. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't see my countrymen going to these places and paying that price. And, and whereas I'm, you know, sitting home and in in, <laughs> surrounded by comforts and my own problems and my own narcissism. And so I, uh, on a whim, I just, I told my wife I was going to join the army and she was a little shocked by that, but we did it. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'd say my main reason for joining is I just, I felt like my country needed me. Um, and I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to let, I didn't want to let the, the men that I saw over there down. And I felt like I had a kind of a, a commitment that um, it's something that even now, as bad as things are, I, you know, I, I still feel that it's very important to me. I, I definitely, I know we we've been passing through some terrible times. There's a lot of folks on my, my side of the political aisle who I think have really lost their faith in this country. And I understand where that sense of, of um, the kind of a sense of betrayal and despondency comes from. But at the same time, I, you know, my patriotism is rooted in my home and my, and my people. And, and that's something that no matter who's running the country, it, they're never going to take that away. And so, sorry, that was a long answer, but that's, that's ultimately what got me joining the army. <laughs> well, thank you for your service for sure. So I want to ask you about the patriotism. I mean, how far does that go? Is there a point where, I mean, is it always going to be there or is there a point where it could break? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I think individually for me, the way that, like I, I described my patriotism, the way it's rooted, I, it would be really hard for that to, to break, I think for me, but I define it differently. I don't believe America is an idea, for example. I think that that's kind of something that's a little bit of a bumper sticker type patriotism. You know, America is, is definitely a country that has had very powerful, wonderful ideas that have shaped it, have made us unique. But I don't believe America is just an idea or else America wouldn't be a place and it wouldn't have a unique group of people that have the culture that we have, you know, that I personally feel like we need to protect. Um, but I definitely think that it, what worries me on a macro level is the what I would say is the backbone of this country is kind of like your your bread and butter, every man that tends to have a strong sense of patriotism. Um, you know, they, they have a love of their country, they fly the flag, they do all those, those things, they tend to be a little more conservative. Um, but they're kind of like the orderly, decent people that go to work, raise good families and do their thing. Um, I am 
very concerned because I think that those people are very unappreciated, are underappreciated for the kind of stability that they give our society here. The fact that they they keep the law, the fact that they go to work and get up in the morning and they raise good families and they are involved in their communities. There's a lot of Americans that do that, but a lot of those Americans have been, you know, they have been very, I, I think they have felt a real sense of, of loss as, as in that they don't feel like they live in the country that they thought they did. And I think that there's a lot of confusion there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of, 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 of feelings of loss. And I worry that, that as bad as things have been, as bad as the betrayals of the past 30 years have been to this group of people, I, I hope that they don't sacrifice um, the, the real rooted sense of like the kind of patriotism I'm talking about, about their connection to this place and the connection to their people. Um, and when I say people, I'm not talking about like a specific ethnos or anything like that. I'm talking about, you know, we all have a story here. Uh, we we have a we're we're a distinct people. I mean, if Americans travel to another country, they'll they'll notice it right away. There's something that makes us different, and it's not just because of our government, and it's not just because of the ideas that have shaped us. There's something deeper there. I just don't want to see, you know, 45% of this country lose that. Because I feel like when people are severed from that thing that keeps them connected, uh, to keeps them rooted, you know, then even though it might feel like they, you know, they might not understand it, but they're going to be much more easy to control, much more easy to manipulate. And I, I think that it will bring a lot more trouble. So there's kind of a temptation out there, I think, to, to kind of give up on the whole project. I, I don't, I don't advocate that. I, I try to be, I'm kind of a cynical person when it comes to the, the power dynamics in this country, but I always try to bring it back to the things that we love and that matter, the things that make us who we are. Well, and I would even say that what you've been saying is taking those people that are being, that have been willing to be tolerant and put them in complacency. I mean, it seems like people are the, it seems like the the majority is quiet and the minority is extremely loud. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, there's, there's kind of a failure there too, you know, that, um, you know, there's, I think that the fact that we live in a very consumer oriented society has been devastating to most Americans, whether they know it or not. Um, it has made people very complacent. It has made people, forget those existential realities that we kind of talked about at the beginning of this program that you know there are there are some serious i mean the our lives are i think of a lot more consequence than than the sum of our our consumer behavior and i think that that tends to that tends to kind of cloud how we see things you know we're not just an economy um you know a good, healthy, wonderful life is not one that gives you, that is simply just the diversity of your cereal item, you know, your cereal selection in the store. And see these kinds of things, I think the, the very cheap kind of ticker tape parade stuff, even though it's fun and it kind of brings us together, I think it's become kind of a substitute for that authentic patriotism that, that has helped Americans for hundreds of years passed through really tough times. And so I do, I, I, I agree. I think that was a great point. I think that there's kind of this, it's, it's, there's a lot of, there are many forces in our society that are kind of making, that have made this population very complacent, which I think has made them much more easy to control and manipulate and to scare into submission. And that's something we, I hope that all the terrible things we're going through now will help kind of shake us out of that, help us to be a little more thoughtful, maybe also be a little more protective of the things that we don't want to lose. I think that that's really well said. And, you, you know, I, I love that. And, you know, we were talking about discipline earlier. And today, uh, my friend Valentine posted on, on Twitter, uh, just, just a part of America the Beautiful, 
um, which it was based on the poem by Catherine Lee Bates, who share a, a namesake there. And uh, the, the part she posted was, uh, America, America, God mend thine every flaw, confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty and law. And I love that. I think that, yeah, I mean, it's America is beautiful and it's, it's basically a prayer. And uh, Tom and I were, were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and, and we have, you know, uh, America the Beautiful uh, and, and other uh, patriotic songs in our hymn book, and, and it just, it means so much. I, I did want to ask you, but before we wrap up, you know, we've, we've kind of been talking big picture here. To dial it in, what is one uh, parenting I don't want to say technique or, or hack or, or anything, but what, what's something you do as a father that, that might be a little bit uh, unusual or unconventional, but that would be easy for, for people to implement? Um, well, I, I'm going to cheat here and say two things that I think are related. Um, I, the, the character, like my, my formation of my moral character started with my father reading um, the scriptures to me as a young boy. Um, I remember it so distinctly, uh, <laughs> every morning reading scriptures with my, my parents. Um, those words of the King James Bible just seeped into my soul and they really, in many ways, the way I think, the way I express myself, the way that I view the world oftentimes comes back down to those sacred words I am a big believer in, in, in cultivating a understanding and appreciation of the word uh, with your children. So I am a firm believer in exposing them and, and cultivating that and nurturing them with that word in their lives. And so reading the scriptures with your children, giving them an understanding and appreciation of that divine history and the language of God in many ways, I think is, is just crucial. Like the, they're, they absorb so much, like children absorb these things and it, it becomes, it's how, it's what their character becomes. It's how it gets formed. Um, so I believe there's a lot of power to that. And then related is I, I love reading to my children. It's one of my favorite things. Um, there's just, I, you know, and I, I'm sure other parents feel this way. If, if, you know, your listeners are not necessarily parents yet, it's something I hope they can look forward to. But there's something just beautiful about seeing the imagination and curiosity of your child in real time and see their mind open up and, and their heart open up and to, and to see the world as a exciting, fascinating, mysterious place and they get that they can't always go out into the world they're too young to be able to really experience too much of life but books and whether it's the scriptures or whether it's a children's book gives them a way to peer into the complexity of the world in a safe way that activates that imagination of theirs that curiosity and it's just a beautiful thing and so I like to read classics to my children I don't something I would encourage other parents to do is you don't have to dumb things down for your kids you know, even when I was just a five-year-old, my, you know, my mom and dad would read the King James Bible to me and I didn't always understand, but these things, you know, the way that a child's mind is, is they, they, they really build upon those things. They fill in those gaps. They, they understand a lot more than people realize. And so I like to read books that are maybe a little higher level. You know, I have very young children, but we, you know, we read Rudyard Kipling together. Uh, we've read Mark Twain. They don't always understand, but they they catch on really quick. And some of these very deep, beautiful philosophical lessons seep into their hearts. And it's something I see all the time now um, as we're you know walking or talking and they're sharing their thoughts with me. I can tell that these these things have an effect on them and how they view the world. And and like I said, that that character formation, that moral formation. So. Anyway, sorry, long-winded answer. I just would encourage parents to introduce your child, your children to the Word of God, if that's something that you, you, you do in your family. And then also, I would pair that with reading to your children books that will help them to be the kind of people that they deserve to be. 
Man, that's wonderful. I, I, I could not have said it better myself. You know, and when you're saying that, I, it encouraged me so much because that's something we've been trying to do. My, my daughter's six and uh, we've been reading you know, the, the classics to her, uh, you know, the, the Odyssey, for example. And, um, you know, we also get some uh, Chronicles of Narnia and I've been reading The Hobbit to her and things like that. Uh, and it, you're right. Anything that they don't understand, they can kind of fill in, uh, you know, and we were reading the Bible last night and I, I was getting frustrated because she was being really cheerful and she was just kind of like rolling around and like coming over and kind of like kicking me in the face and all this stuff. And then I realized like, I don't want to her to associate scripture time with, you know, sit down, shut up. So I, I was just like, what helps me not get frustrated is I just smile and then like, I'll tell her I love her or pay her, you know, a well-earned compliment instead of, you know, criticizing in that moment. And, and I'll ask her questions, you know, just to see if she's getting anything. And it's amazing, even if they're jumping around what, what they're, they're getting out of it. So I'm so glad you said that. Um, I, I did want to ask you one other thing. So we talked about child, you know, child rearing. Uh, what what do you do uh, to show your children that you love your wife and and to to give her some some time as well? Mm. Um. So I you know I've been I'm actually currently between jobs, so I'm I have a lot more time with my family all of a sudden. But in the you know in the new you know did it you know close past here I I was working a lot and I was not always home. Um, my wife loves riding horses. It's something she is very passionate about. Um, and I, I try to avail myself and give time for her to do the things she loves and to support her in that. And to, um, I like to, and I, I love being able to spend time with my kids. And so when they're, if she needs a moment to go out and do something for herself, which, you know, the kind of person she is, she prefers to be with us and the kids, but if she needs that time I try to give that as much as I can to her when I'm not out providing right um, but the other thing I like to do is I I like to my wife and I love having deep conversations and I like having you know I like having unless like the material is you know the the conversation is maybe inappropriate for the children like if it's something that I don't want to scare them or talk about something that's like divisive but if you know I like to I like to show my, my children that their mother and I can have very meaningful conversations that they can be privy to um, and see that, that strong communication. I think it's good for them. Um, I like to give my wife the opportunity to express her feelings and to have the space to do so. Um, and I think that's just it for me, it's just a healthy way of showing your children good emotional uh, connections um, and kind of like a level of respect uh so i yeah i i'm one of those people who don't i don't hide much from my kids i don't i like to involve them i don't try to dumb down my conversations with them i try to speak to them in a way that maybe is a little above their age um and i like to show them a healthy relationship with their mother um somebody that i frankly i i, I can't think of anybody i respect more than my wife and I, I like to be very open about that with, with my children. That's one of the most profound things you, you've ever said, brother. Thank you so much. And, you know, Lee, th this has been such an honor. I, I've always loved you. I loved everything I've ever read from you. Uh, but I love you so much more now. And I want our kids to be friends. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, and I know Tom and I, we, we could listen to you for, for hours and I know our listeners could as well. Um, I know your time is super valuable. I I'm actually going to go coach my daughter's soccer practice now, um, but it, where can people find you? I know we, we started this off with a preview of some upcoming attractions. Um, but yeah, where, where can people find you? Where can they, they read more of what you got? Sure. Well, I, and, Brett, thank you very much for having me, by the way. And I have a great deal of respect for you and Tom, and I, I just appreciate your time. Um, if people want to fi find me, I'm on Twitter. Um, I am Lafayette Lee. There is my my name. Uh, my handle is partisan. It's at partisan underscore O. 
and I have a substack called Ruins of Corotamon, and it's ruins.substack.com. Very easy. Awesome. Well, we'll link all of that here. And like I said, this has been an honor and, and we've only scratched the surface. So we'll definitely have you back on again. Tom, you got anything else for Lee before we sign off? Just want to again say thanks for your time. Thanks for your service. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Tom. Well, God bless you, Lee. And thank you again. And to all you listeners, savor the small moments and make them count. And until next time, this has been Lee and Tom and Brett out.